0: Welcome to the Minor Touches to Major Impact Podcast for Nonprofits. I'm David Oaks. This is Season 3, Episode 22. Today we're going to talk about how to up your game as a public speaker. All fundraisers that get fully funded have to speak before crowds and groups. So glad you tuned in today. Welcome to the show. All right, welcome to the show. Hi, I'm David Oaks. So glad you tuned in. If you are a visionary fundraiser, then you will have to speak in front of groups to get fully funded. There's no way you can get around it. You have to be a public speaker. You have to share your vision with groups of people. Sometimes large groups of people. It's scary. And today I'm going to give you some hints. at how to up your game as a visionary fundraiser in your public speaking. Before I get started, I want to remind you, you don't have to do your fundraising by yourself. You don't have to do it alone. You can join our minor touches to major impact fundraising accelerator where I meet with about a dozen nonprofit visionary fundraisers. We meet two times a month. On our Zoom call, I coach everybody. I look through everything they're doing through the month. I uh, We all hold each other's hand and we fundraise and we 10x, 20x, and even 100x our income. Just by help, just by being in the group and helping each other, so sort of like a coaching mastermind. We all show up for each other. So click the link on the show notes and come join us. Don't do your fundraising alone. Good gracious, nothing could be more lonely. Okay, as a pastor, I learned firsthand why most missionaries and nonprofit leaders rarely get the opportunity opportunity to share the best and largest attended events with potential leaders. <laughs> At our church, we pushed these speakers to Sunday nights, our least attended event of the week, or Wednesday night, oh gosh, the second least attended event of the week. It wasn't because these folks didn't have a word worthy cause. The truth is they were angels, experts at serving their beneficiaries, but sadly, and hard to say, they were often horrible public speakers. All visionary fundraisers who get fully funded have to speak to groups of people. Knowing that, knowing that, the savvy fundraiser will work hard at becoming the best public speaker possible. I remember a painful but honest 360 degrees evaluation I participated in years ago. That's where we have multiple people gathered around you and they all speak and evaluate you. It turned out that public speaking was my least honored skill. Of everything and all that I did, you should understand now that a majority, a lot of my job, revolved around speaking publicly. Mm, I acted like I was okay, but honestly, to be honest, it was painful because it was true. Now I took that painful moment as a challenge to become a better public speaker. For the next few years, I read books. Yes. Public speaking for dummies. It's one of the first books I read. I took classes. I took courses. I attended conferences all to become a better public speaker. I also asked people to critique me each week. I met them ahead of time, give them a little, I made up a little um, evaluation sheet, give it to them. And I said, I want you to evaluate my speaking today. Talk about scary. Yes. But like so many other things, that I have to do, had to do, I just did it while I was afraid. It was not easy. I it was fearful. It was it, made, it was hard, but I did it while I was afraid. You can read a little bit more about that in a post that I did, can called titled "Can Shy People Fundraise." Put a link to that in the show, show notes. Click on it and read it. Years later. I also remember when a trusted member of that evaluation team reminded me of that day asking, do you remember how we evaluated your public speaking as your least powerful skill? Um, did I remember? Yes, I can't lie about it. Very well, vividly, I remember that day. Well, he proceeded to say, that is definitely Not true today. Oh, folks, that was a happy, happy day for me. He went on to say that public speaking might be one of my greatest skills. Now, I'm going to share with you five things that I learned early, and I still practice these things today, to up my game as a public speaker, as a visionary fundraiser Who wants to be fully funded? Okay, five things. Here's my number one thing. Oh my gosh, this was a huge part of uh, my growth process. I had to grab the power of, number one, verbal pauses. Verbal pauses. Verbal pauses are when you say, um, uh. Uh, y- you know, and filler words. You s- keep speaking in these unintelligible filler words while your brain searches for the next words to say. I will never forget becoming aware of verbal pausing, pauses, and I asked a friend to count my verbal pauses during a presentation. Hundreds. Hundreds in a short speech that I gave. Hundreds, I was horrified. I wouldn't have been a good friend that I know doesn't laugh about anything, doesn't even joke about about anything to anybody. I wouldn't have believed it, but she counted them and she gave me the number. I was horrified. It is um like uh when these um fundraisers get up and uh they publicly speak and. Um by the time they um finally get to the point of their um speech, I'm um, um <laughs> I'm exhausted. <laughs> when silence will suffice, but your mouth keeps going and blurts out meaningless extra syllables, people slowly tune out. It is exhausting to listen to someone speak when they have hundreds and hundreds of verbal pauses. A great place to up your game as a fundraising public speaker is Toastmasters. When you practice your public speaking at Toastmasters, there's someone there assigned the job of what they call the ah counter. Uh, They're going to count how many ums and ahs you have. Get ready to have your eyes opened. (laughs) A big verbal pause in the culture today that I notice people using. I even use it and I work hard to keep it out of my vocabulary and my speaking is the word like, like, like. I went over to his house and I was like, what was going on here? He saw me and was like livid that like someone like me would be there. Like, wow, like how often does that happen? Like, amazing. (laughs) That ends up being a verbal pause. Instead of allowing silence, I went over to his house and I wondered what is going on here. He saw me. And wondered and responded in a livid way. Don't you see the difference in that? And he saw me and was like, like someone like me would be there. Like, like, wow. Like, how does that happen? Like, wow. So when you have words that you repeat over and over, over and over hundreds of times in a speech, you will be amazed when you get someone someone to count these things you're going to be amazed at how many times. Some speakers will all always, they used so at the beginning of just so many sentences. So, blah, 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 blah. So, I turned around and went home. So, what does that mean? So, I can do that a lot. Here's a good one, a one that I hear all the time. Some people just get caught on it, in it, and it's using the phrase, a little question, you know. At the end of their phrases over and over, blah, 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 you know, ha, 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 ha. you know, they just use the phrase, you know, over and over, or the word right. I wonder what your faux pas, verbal pause is. Um, give me a te- text, me, email me and let me know. In the first, the first century biblical story about Peter and John says that they spoke the gospel. They spoke truth with, quote, boldness. The original Greek word translated as boldness can mean circumlocution. Now, that's a big word. What does circumlocution mean? It means to use a lot of words when a few words would do. (laughs) So Peter and John, they spoke with boldness. They used a few words. They didn't use a lot. They used a few and they were with power. May we all, by the grace of God, may we all find that kind of boldness. Okay, number one, verbal pauses. Number two, the first 30 seconds, the first minute of your speech. The Catholic University in Washington, D.C., conducted a study on the attention span of lecture attendees, and they found that most people stopped paying attention to those public speakers only 30 seconds into the speech. What? In 30 seconds, people had already begun to tune out. I know, crazy, right? (laughs) That means... You should work the hardest on the first 30 seconds, the first minute, the first two minutes of your presentation. I was looking on LinkedIn the other day and I found a, a young uh, professional. Her name is Timmy Badru and she said it so well in her blog post. Here is a quote from her post. Someone got an invitation to speak at a global conference and for some reason, he spent the first few minutes convincing the audience that they shouldn't be listening to him and they were wasting their precious time. What if I told you, she says, that the someone might just be you? And then she goes on to say, when you start your speech, remember, I'm telling you the first 30 seconds, when you start your speech by making statements like, I'm not as good as these other speakers, so y'all bear with me, or, quote, I don't know why I was invited because I'm not really qualified, and this is my first time here, unquote, she says, Timmy says, you are telling the audience that the next few minutes will not be worth it. Unfortunately, some people, she says, will take your hint and walk away physically or mentally. Thank you, Timmy. I put a link in the show notes to her post. Read it. It's amazing. I'll go hire her and get her to help you. (laughs) Untrained public speakers are notorious for wasting this precious opportunity, this moment of opportunity at the beginning of their presentations. Pastors and preachers do this often. They set up their message with an amazing video trailer. Some, um, some wonderful smart fifth grader has given them an incredible video trailer before they get up to speak. Then they get up behind the trailer. They repeat the announcements They talk about the weather, turn around and brag on the band. They mention needy prayer requests on and on ad nauseum. Then they will start their message after that moment has been totally wasted. Savvy public speakers who understand the power of story begin their speech by immediately being clear about the problem they're about to bring an answer to and they do it in the first few minutes of their talk. Listen to me. The beginning of your speech is supremely important. The first 30 seconds, the first minute, the first two minutes. And it's a great place to use your one-liner. Now, if your one-liner is if your one-liner is what it should be, it will start out with the problem that you bring an answer to. Click a link in the show notes and learn more about having a great one-liner. I've done posts and podcasts about your one-liners. Now, after in that first 30 seconds, that one minute after you've hooked your audience, then you can turn and Thank them for inviting you. You could say something positive about the band. You can brag on the church, but only do that after you have hooked your audience into listening to you. At your next next presentation, I dare you to walk out onto that stage and clearly articulate the problem that you are bringing an answer to with the first few words that come out of your mouth. I dare you to do it? Okay, that is number two. The first thirty seconds. Number one: verbal pauses. Uh, please, to God in heaven, work on your verbal pauses, and then give your speech, give that first thirty seconds, the first minute, the most uh, attention. And number three is being monotone. Monotone. Take, begin to notice. How we talk and tell stories. We lift our voice, we lower our voice, we speed up our pace, and we slow our pace. The great fundraising, visionary fundraising speaker learns to be a little more dramatic than feels normal. Practice your presentation. It feels abnormal, but all you're doing is keeping folks tuned in to what you're saying, which hopefully is visionary from another world, and you want them to continue to pray. pay attention. There should be a time when you raise your voice, and there should be a time when you lower it. There should be a time when you speed up your pace, and there should be some times when you slow it down for a fact, like I just did I have a few fundraising and public speaking friends who refuse to practice their public speaking. I've had clients that hired me to help them, and I pleaded with them. I charged them to practice their speech, and they refused to. Now, we have words to describe them. Ready for them? Poor public speakers. (laughs) These people are horrible public speakers all right number one verbal pauses number two your first 30 seconds number three do not be monotone number four distractions distractions successful presentations for dummies by malcolm kushner it's an excellent resource resource great book He talks about how it doesn't matter how nervous you are. He just says, it doesn't matter if you're nervous or not. What matters is that the audience thinks you're not nervous. It doesn't matter if you're nervous. What matters is you don't want to appear nervous. (laughs) I have people tell me all the time, you are so free on stage. You are not afraid at all. They have no idea how afraid I was. I just have practiced and I've made up my mind, I'm not going to show it. There are some distractions that make you appear nervous and scared. Number one is your stage presence. When you pace like a wild animal in a cage, be aware of your pacing. If you're speaking to a large crowd, slowly walk to one section of the stage and address the crowd and finish that thought and then move to the center stage and address that portion of the crowd and then move to the other side. So not, don't pace just quickly running back and forth. Watch yourself in video and see, are you pacing like a wild animal? You make people think you're, um, that you're scared. Don't do it. Fidgeting. You don't know what to do with your hands. I know that's a big deal. If you're using a a lectern, and I do this a lot, place your hands up on that lectern as if you're playing a piano. Just place them there. It gives you something to do with your hands. If your hands are shaking, then just put them together and hold them and just stand with your hands clasped. It's better than shaking hands. You don't need a whole pitcher of water where you're pouring a pitcher of water. Get you a small glass of water. Take sips when you need it. Pace yourself. Don't get up there and drink lots of water. And then please hear me. Please do this. Never, ever, ever apologize for being nervous. It only draws attention to it. Never, ever apologize for having a cold. Y'all just, uh, I'm sorry, I got a cold and, and my voice is scratchy. Do you think people know what your voice sounds like anyway? Don't mention it. Anything you apologize for... Just draws attention to it. So never apologize for being nervous. Don't apologize for being sick. Don't apologize for coughing. Just get up there and do your best. Stop apologizing. Don't apologize for anything. Speech expert Alatia Harris says, never apologize to the audience. Audience unless you've injured someone. (laughs) So when you injure someone, you can apologize. Till then, stop apologizing. Okay, that's number four. Number one, verbal pauses. Number two, your first 30 seconds. Number three, don't be monotone. Number three, four, rather be careful of distractions. And then the last one I'll give you, number five, has to do with eye contact. Malcolm Kushner's uh, description of the power of eye contact. He says this, I'm quoting, I got this from his book. He says, quote, I'm quoting, there's a point in many old tearjerker romantic movies where the heroine tells the hero or vice versa that she doesn't love him anymore. Usually the villain has forced this situation upon them. The violins come up strongly on the soundtrack. The camera pans in for a close-up. Shock and disbelief register across the hero's face. And inevitably, he utters this immortal line, Look me in the eye and say that. In other words, it's not true until she says it while making eye contact. Wow. Eye contact is a significant factor in earning credibility. It this explains why you can't raise major gifts, gifts through email, through social media or newsletters, because in those mediums, you can't make eye contact. Eye contact officially initiates conversation. When you speak, look and make eye contact with the people that you're communicating with. That's the old Bill Clinton way. I feel your pain. And then you look at people. I dare you. You don't believe that matters Here's my dare to you, to prove it to you. I dare you to try to get a waiter's attention without it. How do you get the waiter to come to you? You look at him, you watch him, and when that waiter turns around and makes eye contact, then you can grab their attention and they can come to you. Wow. Okay, so those are the five things. Number one, watch your verbal pauses. Number two, Sweat your first 30 seconds. Number three, do not be monotone. (laughs) Number four, distractions. Watch them. And then the last one, eye contact. Listen, seeing you get all the money you need thrills me like crazy. To no end, it thrills me. All right, that's the show for today. I want to send you away, a positively affirmed. One more reminder before I do that. Stop doing your fundraising alone. You weren't meant to do that. It doesn't work. Oh, goodness, it's hard. Click the link on the show notes. Check out the minor touches to Major Impact Fundraising Accelerator. Get on the call with me, and let's talk about you joining our group. Okay, ready? Always remember... We are proud nonprofit leaders on a mission to create a changed world. We are not begging. We are not pleading. We are inviting humanity to partner with Providence to see injustice become justice, to see wrongs become righted, and to leave the world we found in a better place. So until next time, this is David Oakes reminding you, it's the minor touches that lead to major impact. So long.